Morning, guys. Yeah, it's, it's mixed emotions for us this morning. It's our last Sunday. So we're, we're kind of caught in between. We're, we're saying goodbye. Even this next week, we got like goodbyes and stuff. And now we're also saying hello to so like about 350 students in, in Stellenbosch, full of, full of zeal, full of, full of life. And I, I was saying that something interesting happens from being a teenager to being a student, it seems. I worked with youth. Some of the guys here are youth leaders. Teenagers, no offense to the teenagers, but teenagers can be tough work. Can I get a witness? Teenagers, like, they're, they're super cool. They, they're not, if you speak to them, they're not going, they're just like, bit blank. So you've got to believe it. I remember we're doing youth, standing up there. I'm like, the Lord is like, James, you better believe in yourself and your message if you're going to stand up and speak to them because you're not going to be getting... Yeah. But then, but then they would come to you maybe... I promise you, they will come to you months later and years later and say, you have no idea the impact you had on my life. And you're going, what? Like, why didn't you sh- give me something? Just show me something. And it's like that. But students, hopefully, they seem to have just come out of that. <laughs> so we'll see when we're there. But yeah, we're, we're kind of heading over at the moment, still looking for a house there. But all the, all the pieces are in motion. And um, when, when Ross said that this was yeah, our last Sunday, and he said, like, hey, do you, do you want to preach? Um, I was like, what do you preach on if you're doing like a farewell? I didn't want it to be some weird schmaltzy kind of weird farewell thing like Solomon speaking to his son in Proverbs like my son <laughs> do these things and hold on to truth and I don't want to do that so <laughs> I'm not going to do that to you but the, you know the words that came to mind for me is um, I think it's in Romans chapter 1 Paul hasn't been to Rome and he, and he writes this letter to the, the church in Rome and he says I long to impart and to give you some sort of spiritual gift, so that you may be built up, and that even he says that he would be built up. It's almost like, if you're built up, I'm built up. And he hasn't even, he hasn't even been there yet. And those were the words that I just felt God this morning say, James, impart a spiritual gift. Just give a deposit. And, and I, I don't want to preach myself. I don't want to preach my wisdom. So I'm going to point you with the spotlight straight to Jesus and his work this morning, because I've got nothing better. If any preacher stands up here and says he's got something better than that, he's lying. The old ways are the, the paths we walk in, the, the, the ancient paths, so to speak, don't change. No matter what progressive Christianity you want to tell you, does not change. So let me just pray quick for us. Father, I thank you for, yeah, firstly, just again, Father's Day today, and it's um. Yeah, you're, you're more than able to take your word this morning, to take your truth, and to land it in our hearts exactly the way we need. My, I don't have to trust and lean upon wise and eloquent words this morning, or yeah, rhetoric and logic and all these things. We are a people that rely upon the power of the Holy Spirit. We, yeah, we're pleased to even be called fools for Christ. The world looks at us and says, you're the, you're, the, you're the ones who aren't intellectual. You're the ones who are believing in fairy tales and all this nonsense. And 
But Lord, we are those who have seen the message of the cross. And it's become to us the power of God. It's become the most joyous message we've ever heard. And I thank you for the transformation that has taken place in so many of our lives here. And I pray if there are those sitting here this morning, that as this word is preached, they realize, I, I actually haven't come to this God yet. I've maybe come to a church building and I've come to religion, but I haven't come to my knees before this God. I pray that you would wake those people out of the slumber and the sleep that the devil wants them to remain in. And come do it for the sake of your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, so the... the, the do you know what's... Oh, no, I mustn't run ahead. No, never mind. Turn in your Bibles to Titus chapter 3. And you know what I realized as, as I was prepping this, and I'm not even, I don't even feel bad about this, that this is a passage of scripture that you guys did in many of your home groups. Do uh, you remember that? A while ago. Titus chapter 3. And we'll, we'll read from verse 3. But as, as I was preparing and thinking about what, what to speak on, um, the words just kept coming to my mind, but now, but now. And I thought, those are two of the best words I think I've ever read in the Bible. You read, it's, it's Paul mainly does it, and Paul's writing here to Titus. And he'll get to a point where he'll say, you were once this. This is who you are. This is what your life was like. You were, it was inescapable, this place you were in. And he'll sometimes crush you under that weight. And then your soul is desperate to hear, but God, but now, something has changed. Something stepped in. Otherwise, you're doomed. So look, let's just read this passage quick, and then we'll, we'll just... As, as, a, as a tree, remember that analogy, each passage of Scripture is like a tree that you can shake, and the fruit should come off that tree. So I'm hoping this morning that as we take this and we shake it, there's going to be fruit for you to eat. That's going to be like a spiritual gift that's going to build you up, and it's going to strengthen you. Amen. So Titus 3 verse 3 says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, Slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Is that the end of the story? But, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness. But why? According to his own mercy. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. We can just stop there. You look at that, that's a good but. Otherwise, that list, how many of you read that list and think that seems, I don't think I was like that? Were you hated by others? Maybe you didn't know about it. Were you hating others? Jesus even defines hate sometimes as simply just 
uh, well, he, def- he almost said murder, actually, is the same as hatred in your own heart. So all sorts of evil and things kept us bound. But you know, I had such a laugh I was prepping. That f- look at just that first line, foolish. What, what characterizes a fool? I mean, you see the word fool mentioned a lot in the book of Proverbs. It would say that the fool says in his heart, no God. He says there's, there's, there's no God. There's, in a sense, through his life and his posture, he is giving the middle finger to God and saying, I don't need you. And what, I don't know how much interaction you have with non-believers still in your life. It could be family, it could be work colleagues. What do you think their opinion often is of Christians? Do you have any like intellectual atheist kind of friends? I'm sure you have a few. What do you think their honest opinion is of you as a Christian? Superstitious, nuts. Do you think they respect you? Do, do you think they believe you're more intellectual than they are? Probably the opposite. They probably think you're an idiot. But they don't want to say it, so they'll kind of just, they'll let you say grace when you guys have lunch together. But further than that, they're not interested. But what does the gospel say to you? So the natural man says, I'm not going to come to God because this stuff is foolish. And then when you actually come to God, you realize, hold on, it was actually the other way around. I was a fool, and I was lacking knowledge, and now I've received knowledge. So the man in the world says, no, no, I can't lower myself so much to join you kind of idiots there. So maybe if God appears to me in the clouds, I'll do it. But for we as Christians... I don't know if I gave you that scripture. There's a, yeah, I did. In 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18. Look at the shift that happens when you become a Christian. For the word or the message of the cross is folly, foolishness to those who are perishing. There's another but. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It's the wisdom of God. It is the knowledge of God. It's a pure righteousness of God. You see the switch that happens. You don't simply come to God and God just takes your existing knowledge, adds in a few other bits that you are missing, and says, okay, now run along. He totally changes your whole mindset. You don't, just, you don't even just go from seeing Jesus as a good man to now Savior. You go from seeing Jesus as a fool to now my only hope and the one I can rest upon. It's a drastic shift. And look at that other one there where it says, led astray. So it says, foolish, you were disobedient. So disobedience characterizes your life as an unbeliever. That you're rebellious. The minute someone puts a rule in front of you, what do you want to do? Break the rule. You're disobedient at heart. And that disobedience can even manifest itself in a toddler. You ever given a toddler a rule? Simon at the door. Simon said he had Arabella with him in the car. He's like, Arabella, you can carry this packet, the light one. The minute he says that to her, she's almost like, no, I don't want to carry that one because you told me to. I'm going to carry the heaviest packet we have. And I'm like, how does that work? 
Maybe with kids, you must just tell them the opposite. And then they'll, you'll trick them somehow. I don't know. <laughs> but there's something, <laughs> there's something in us that you put a rule down. You say, you can't. And you're like, mm, I'll show you. And you want to do it. So disobedience characterizes your life. And even being led astray. What do you think is a, 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 another word for being led astray? Deceived. <laughs> is that so? <laughs> led astray. And again, that touches on my first point. The natural man, would he believe that he's led astray? No, he's looking at you, you and saying, you're led astray. He's saying, you've been led into all this. You just want a crutch in life to lean upon. You want a savior. You lean upon that savior. But you, you're led astray. I, on the other hand, I'm intellectual. And I'm logical and rational. That's what the natural man's going to say to you. But the Christian, the whole mindset changes when you become a Christian. You realize, hold on, I was deceived. It says in, in 2 Corinthians 4 that the devil has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the truth. So the devil will keep telling you, no, you know everything. You know everything. That's what he's saying to the person out there in the world. Don't lower yourself. Don't humble yourself. Just stay high. Stay high in your own mind. And the, the Christian is one who comes to God in true humility and recognizes, I thought I knew something, but I knew nothing. And look, this next one just really says a lot. Slaves to our various passions and pleasures. How many of you guys in your life have gone through times where whatever your eye or your mind set upon, you did it? And you felt like you might have thought that I, that's the freest I've ever been. What do you soon realize? That what looks like freedom is actually the worst slavery I could ever be in. To literally do whatever I desire and whatever my passions pull me towards might feel like the most free thing the world would tell you to do. But you soon realize I'm actually in bondage. I don't have power over these passions and desires. If they say go here, I've got to go there. And again, the funny thing is, the man of the world is never going to look at himself and think that he is a slave. Willie, do you think your unsaved friend thinks he's a slave? He say, I can change this whenever I want. I can, do, I can change. I can, I can just fix it upon something else. And the devil says, okay, you keep believing that. But you're a slave. You are in bondage. And you re do you realize reading this list that a Christian is not simply someone who gets their sins forgiven? If God just forgives your sins and doesn't break the hold of all this other stuff, you're still in trouble. That's why you will, we'll see just now salvation is a much more holistic thing than simply how the gospel has often been portrayed over the years. You might have heard it as a kid or at a youth camp. Come to Jesus, he'll forgive your sins. That is amazing news. But it is, that's a partial gospel. And there's much more than that. Amen. I wonder if you have you realized that for yourself. Because without realizing it, that's can all you can kind of think. If someone says, hey, just go back to the joy of your salvation. You ever prayed those prayers? 
I often hear them when we're in home group and stuff. I'm not calling out anyone in our home group, but we do pray those things. Is we want to go back, we're like, Lord, how do I get back to that place of joy before you? And then some of us think like, okay, uh, 15 years ago, I remember that day, maybe I gave my life to the Lord. But I, I feel sometimes we struggle to latch upon like an, like an anchor of joy. We're, we're trying to find it. And just believing that God forgave your sins 15 years ago on a cross is not the full picture. And I hope you'll see that even through just one sermon. But slaves to our passions and pleasures. Do you know, you can put it up quick. In, in 2 Timothy, um, Paul's second letter to Timothy, Lisa will like that. Some people are just like, to Timothy. But Paul's second epistle to Timothy <laughs> says he's describing people in the last days, which is already now. And look how he describes them also. Treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit. That's a great word. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Woo. A Christian is someone who was a slave. They were God. You haven't come to God yet. You are your own God. And you now come to him. And you say, I'm not anymore at the center of my universe anymore. God is now at the center. And everything revolves around him. My desires, my passions, all of that, they fall in line around him. So if he says, put that to death, I put that to death now. My whole order, my whole way of living has changed. But you need to realize that, that you're surrounded by people and culture, and you're surrounded by technology that wants to make you a lover of pleasure, a lover of comfort, a lover of stimulation. Do you feel that bombardment each day? Stimulated. Pleasure being offered to you. Any of the girls here do online shopping? I know there's a few of you. You don't have to raise those hands. Oh, there's. <laughs> Charlie? No, I'm kidding. I'm speaking hypothetically. If you had to do online shopping, it might be. It's not the worst thing, but it's where your heart is at. If we do any of those things from a place of, I need more, I want more, this will finally satisfy me, then you might have to look into that. That might be a problem. <laughs> but just doing those things by themselves aren't the sin. It's where is it coming from? And, and what, what are we hoping that's going to fill in us? You're almost at the bat. Hating others and being hated. I don't know what Jeff's NIV says there. Same, eh? Okay. It's basically the same translation. <laughs> so that just, all, all that really paints to me is a world of almost, it's vengeful. That kind of world. It's an eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. You get me, I'm getting you back immediately. I will correct the scales. You hate me? I'll just cut you out. I don't need you. That's the kind of world. It's ruthless. It's heartless. Yeah. I'll block you. <laughs> you ever blocked someone? <laughs> As a Christian, maybe sometimes you can block someone. We can talk about it. <laughs> 
Those people who forward you those messages every like morning. Um, what? Yeah, yeah, Jeff sends me some of those. <laughs> like a picture of like a little fat baby angel and it gives you a scripture or something. <laughs> but anyways, that's not related to the topic. But it's, it's just a vengeful state you're in. And what does that tell you about the change that also takes place in our hearts? When we become a Christian and God now says, I'm going to take up residence in your heart, you're still, you're, as a Christian, you're basically shedding off your old skin still. So it would be wonderful if you never felt the desire where someone kind of slapped you or even emotionally hits you and if you never felt the impulse to hit back. That would be great. But you do feel it. But the life you're called to, to live in a manner worthy of the gospel and worthy of your calling is when someone wrongs you is to say, my God will vindicate me. And you don't pray it in a way that like, my God will vindicate me. He's going to get you. Some Christians do that. They're like, vengeance belongs to the Lord. And I'm like, ah, oh, that's not godly. I promise you. They're like, I'm not going to seek revenge. And their eyes are like, that's weird. But the Christian truly believes something about God. And believe something about this life. That if this life was all there is, like the, like the natural man out there believes, then you should just seek pleasure, you should, should seek revenge. There's going to be no justice one day. Then you should actually seek all those things now. But the Christian is one who knows that this isn't all there is. This is, this is a short little pilgrimage. This is us as a people in exile here on earth. And I might not even see what God does with the way I was wronged. You might not see it. But I can still say that Jesus, when he was reviled, never reviled. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, silent before his shearers, and he opened not his mouth. Isaiah 53. And if that's my Savior, I'm going to do the best I can to follow in his footsteps. Amen. But... How long did it take to get to that but? But God. I, I just, I went for a walk yesterday and for about half an hour I just ran the words through my head. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, my Savior appeared. Eh? Close your eyes. Just think on that. Think on that. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared. He saved you. Don't you ever lose sight of that. He saved you. He delivered you. He took his life and he said, I'm going to share it with you. He planted his life in you like a seed. And you were full of all envy. You were full of all malice. You were full of so much self. And he did not just save you from your sins and the record of sins. But he saved you from the person you would have been. 
me delivered you. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared. I almost want you to like feast upon those words. And you know the thing about our Savior is there's almost two appearances that he made. One of them was in history. He appeared as a man. He gave of himself on a cross. But you know the appearing that comes and changes you is he appears to you in your life. And you see him. You don't just see him as a man anymore. You see Jesus as the personification of grace. For Jesus to appear is the same as grace appearing in its fullness. For Jesus to appear is goodness. The very opposite of that list you were reading. His loving kindness appears. He doesn't just give it to you. He is that thing. And he appears in his fullness. And I don't, I don't think I will ever get bored of those words. Eh? In Ephesians chapter 2, you see a similar thing. Very similar. describes us. And as for you, you were dead in your sins and transgressions. In that you, were, you were a child of disobedience. You were deserving of wrath. And then it gets to, but God. Listen to these words. But God, being rich in mercy... Because of the great love with which he loved us. That's his motivation. But God, because of the great love with which he loved us, even while we were dead in our sins, like we read, made us alive together with Christ. Hallelujah. Even while we were dead. But God. Are you appreciating that but? Has it come in your life? Has there been a but God? Or are you still in that list we were reading? The only way you're going to get out of that list is for him to appear to you. And the Holy Spirit does that in the most mysterious and powerful way. He reveals Jesus. Not anymore as a, as a foolish thing, as he once was before. He reveals him as a pearl of great price. He reveals him as a treasure. And we say, I will, I, I will forsake everything else I have. Because it's all just going to burn up anyway. Naked I came into the world, naked I'm going to leave. I need him. He's never going to burn up. If I give you a Rolex watch today worth 200,000 rand, are you going to be happy? You probably feel nervous walking around with that thing, actually. So I don't know how happy you'd be. But it's not going to last. I could give you that. I could give you a new thing every day till the day you die and be burnt up. But when you know that you are going through life tomorrow with Jesus, who will never leave you, never forsake you, what more could you want? What more do you need? A friend that will stick closer than a brother. Your mother and your father may desert you, but the Lord will take you in. He will be a friend. And you know what? I think 
I think God will, will, God will forgive you one day if you stand before him. And, and hopefully he's about to say, well done, good and faithful servant. And I think God, if you were to interrupt him and say, uh-uh, Lord, I, I know you want to say that, but I rather want to say, well done, good and faithful Savior. I don't think you're going to be standing there desperately waiting and deserving of that. In God's grace, it might be given to you, but I think you're going to rather want to stand there and say, well done, good and faithful Savior. Amen. So you can also just put up that 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. Look at these words. And I mentioned this just now. It's earlier there where Paul says that the devil has blinded people's minds from seeing the truth. But he says here for us, for us Christians, for God who said, right in the beginning of creation, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has now shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Amen. It's quite a, it's a meaty statement, but he's saying, in essence, that the same power of God's word in the beginning that said there was nothing and now there's light gets spoken into that dark heart of yours. And light comes in. And love for God comes in. Have you experienced that? Do you have love for God in your heart? God then said, let light shine into darkness. Because all you would have had was love for self if it weren't for that. Have you experienced that? I'm not saying, are you in church? Do you serve a church? Are you a good member? Do you try follow the Ten Commandments? Have you experienced God shining into your heart? To pour out the love of God into your heart where you're like, I know that I don't belong to myself anymore. I belong to him. For he bought me at a price. You need to experience that in your heart. And then another one, you don't even have to put it up, but it's, it's a similar one in, in, in Galatians 1 verse 15. Maybe you can put it up. It's, it's Paul himself saying, But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace, check this line, he was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. And he goes on. God, do you know God, if you're a Christian, you didn't just stumble upon Jesus and God's like, oh, dang, like I've got to let you in. You said in Jesus' name. Okay, you're in. You're like, in Jesus' name. He's like, oh, okay, come in. And you're like, do you love me? He's like, covenantly, I love you. You're in the covenant. No, that's an impersonal. You're not just in the Christian faith, and you kind of have a God who is supposed to love you now. You have a God, you're a Christian, who says, I am pleased that you're with me now. I'm pleased that I revealed my son in you. I even like you. The religious mind struggles with that kind of line. 
You're not just here doing your best duty. You've got a God who has said, you were once far off, and I brought you near. You didn't just come near. You're going to get there now. It was according to his own mercy that he brought you near. His own prerogative. He says, I want you with me. And you need to hear that as a Christian, because that's going to fuel your faith. If you think you're just a Christian now, who's kind of part of a, a church, part of a Christian community, and you just got to do your best, to, your best for God, it's not going to be the fuel you need. You need to wake up each day, like Paul, saying, I have a God who before I was born set me apart in my mother's womb. And called me by his grace, called me out of the tomb, and was pleased to reveal his son in me. Do you believe that? You need to get away from just a general, impersonal view of God. And see him as, this is my Lord, and he's my Savior. I remember Brian preached one of the, a sermon, you remember that? Called it, My Jesus. I remember it. Because he was hitting on that point, it was about a year ago. That he's not just Jesus. He's actually my Jesus. He's mine. He's, I'm joined with him. I'm one with him. Amen. You can put the Titus one back up quick. That's base camp. We've got to stick with base camp. Otherwise we go down rabbit trails. So he saved us. Those words, in the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. And why does he feel the impulse to say this bit? Not. Not because. Maybe because there's a temptation for us to rest upon those things, to go back to it. God puts us almost on true north, and then we just, we just wander towards resting upon our own work. And he says, not because of any works done by us in righteousness, but according. That is the grounds of him saving you. You're not saved by good works, but you're saved for good works. That's like a different religion right there. You think you're saved by good works? and you get a revelation that you're saved for good works, you'll feel like you've stepped into glory. You'll feel like you've stepped into paradise when that clicks for you. Because if you think that you're saved, that you're either disqualified by your bad works, or you're qualified by your good works, the Christian has to both repent of his sin and repent of his own righteousness. And if you start resting your weight, it's like a chair, Jesus becomes that chair, and you're like, can I actually rest all my weight upon it? Or, or should I always have one leg down, just in case? And God says, no, lift that leg up, lift it up, lift it up. And you get to the point where you feel like, I'm actually resting. Hey, Margs, do you want to do that as a little illustration? Rest yourself on that chair. And you feel all your... No, no, Jeff. And you... <laughs> Some of these are old. Some of these chairs are... <laughs> I'm leaving, so... <laughs> There's no self-preservation left. <laughs> but God, 
Uh, and even, even just as a, res, as a response today, or, or when you're going to go home and think about this, ask the Lord. Say, Lord, am I resting all my weight upon you? What does that mean? You might have been going so many years where you don't even know what that, it's actually a good chance. You won't even know what that looks like. You might just think, but I, I thought I was supposed to contribute that to you. And he says, yeah, you can bring that to me, but you were saved not because of any works done by you in righteousness. So having begun by the Spirit, don't resort to human effort in the flesh now to find your completion. Stick with faith. Stick with Him. Amen. That is much of the Christian life is that. Learning how do I rest all my weight upon my Savior. And you know what's the ironic thing? The person who feels too anxious, almost spiritually, religiously, to rest their weight, and they're working, they're working, they're going to produce less fruit than the one who says, I forsake my works. I don't forsake, my, I don't forsake pursuing good works, but I forsake putting any of my trust in those good works of mine. Big difference. And it's almost counterintuitive. You start resting your weight in that chair and you feel like, I want to do anything for my Savior. Amen. This tiny little witness there. We'll get more later. Everyone's like, amen. <laughs> so he saved us. And even him saying he saved us is not just, he saved me 20 years ago at a youth camp. He saved me, he's saving me, and he will finally save me. It's a holistic solution. It's not just, I kind of came into the courtroom of God in that moment all those years ago, and he said, and he hit the gavel and said, okay, no more, no more condemnation, no more guilt, and he just kicked you out and said, okay, go do Christian stuff. No. He has saved you there. He is now, he has done a work for you, outside of you, in Jesus. He's doing a work in you to save you. And he will finally bring it to completion. That's his work. That's a holistic picture of salvation. It is not just all those years ago, you came forward at a little meeting. And now by the sweat of your brow, you're meant to get to the end. Mm-mm. You're going to be defeated and deflated in that place. Okay. There you go. There's something. And I actually want, I've, I've watched my time. I've got on too long. You're giving me the eye. Mm. Dang. Uh, the worship guys can come up. I'll land the plane. Hmm? You've got to put the wheels out the plane first. <laughs> Do you know the best way that we could respond to this, to the gospel, is to worship. But you know what you do? When you worship, you're worshiping in response to God's work. You're always worshiping in response to what he's done. And it fuels worship in you. 
I was thinking of that, like this passage, just after he's finished, he says, he says uh, insist on these things. He's telling Titus, insist on them so that pe- the people might be devoted to good works. He's saying insist, always go back to this, what you once were, what God has done for you, and that is going to cause you to be devoted to good works. So the way that we... The way that you as Weinberg look ahead and that you walk ahead and you say, we want to do these things for God, we want to achieve this, is you continually look back at what he's done. In order to look ahead, you're looking back. Think of Israel. Every time Israel got astray, God would say, remember that God, that Yahweh your God saved you with an outstretched arm before many miracles delivered you from the hand of Egypt and then he brings them back to, okay, yeah, you are our Savior. You are our God. That is the way, as a church, we move forward. Is we look continually back at what he's done. And I, I think for, for many of us here, that analogy I gave of the chair is so important for some of us sitting here. Well, for all of us, but we're in different places. For some of us, You might have all your limbs still touching the ground. Your bum's just kind of touching the chair. (laughs) Because you're not sure if you can trust it. And and God is gentle with you. He's able to sympathize. So he's slowly going to help you to lift each limb and rest in him. To rest in him. He's going to say, lay all your tools down. Lay all your doing down. And first, rest in me. I will give you strength that you need. And he's continually going to bring us back to that place of trust me, rest in me. Because when we're in that mindset of I've just got to kind of prop this thing up a bit here, I've got to keep it up. There's anxiety there, there's no peace, there's often despair when we're failing, there's discouragement. But when you feel yourself by faith resting upon his work, his righteousness, his blood, his wisdom, there's joy. And it makes, it surpasses all understanding. It puts to rest all those anxious thoughts. And it turns the spotlight off ourselves and it puts it on him. Why don't we close our eyes? I want to just pray for us before we go to a time of response. And I, I touched on this earlier and I said, I mean, it's self-evident. You can see from that list we read earlier that becoming a Christian is no small thing. It's not, you're not just turning over a page and trying this out. To become a Christian is for Jesus to be revealed to you as the way, the truth, the life. Not even just the pathway to life. Because then you've still got a limb touching the ground. He's the life. He is the way. He has made a way. So if, if there's anyone here who you just the Holy Spirit's going to convict you. My words will fall short. 
They can't do it. But if you're feeling the Holy Spirit saying, you actually need to truly and humbly come to this God and say, I need mercy. I need mercy. I need you to do a work for me and in me. Would you just raise your hand? I'd love to pray with you. That's you. If you feel like I, I've maybe just been a churchgoer, I've been trying my best to follow God, but I'm not even convinced yet that He lives in me, that I'm alive. Is there anyone like that? Maybe you've never sat upon that chair. You've never rested your faith and your trust upon Jesus Christ. Oh, there's someone. Well done. Whether you respond now, or even if you want to respond now in worship, you don't need a mediator, you don't need a pastor. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You call upon his name and he will reach down and extend mercy. And I have to pray for the rest of us here that we're all, I think, to different degrees sometimes still have one of our limbs just touching the ground, sitting on that chair, just in case. And we're trying, to, we're trying to contribute something here to keep ourselves up. And I just pray, Holy Spirit, come right now and reveal to each of us personally how it is we can find our rest in you. You're the only one that brings rest. You're the only one that brings peace and true joy. So just come speak to us now. And I pray, Lord, in people's hearts where there's been a wellspring that's of worship that's been like blocked up. I feel that, that there's been, there's been gratitude in some of our hearts that's been blocked up. Right? Whether it's just the cares of this life or it's just you've gotten too used to just doing Christianity, doing church. I really trust that now when we worship, God will unblock those wells of worship. And you can lift your hands today and you can raise your voice and say the only one that is worthy of my worship, the only one who came in and said, but now I'm going to speak a better word over your life. It's not your spouse doesn't deserve that devotion, not your family, not your best friend, but only him.